0: Longhorn Confidential Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today, order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. Hello Texas fans, this is the Longhorn Confidential for Thursday, July 23rd. I'm Danny Davis, the Austin American Statesman. As always, joined by Mike Craven. Mike, how are you doing? Say hello to the people.
1: Doing good, guys. How is everybody?
0: You know we're uh, surviving. I mean, you're you up there in the great state of Maine, not melting in this uh, 100 degree weather, but we're we're finding ways to get through this summer, as hot as it is down here, and obviously a lot of other stuff going on down here in the Lone Star State.
1: Yeah, it's uh, 75 degrees here right now, so I can't I can't complain. We're gonna talk recruiting
0: before I get just too angry about your weather reports. Uh, <laughs> Uh, since we last talked, uh, Texas got a commitment from Jameer Johnson, a cornerback out of John Muir High School in California, committed on July thir- July third, right before the Fourth of July a weekend. Four-star commit, six foot one seventy. Mike, what do fans need to know about Jameer?
1: I think he fits the prototype of what Texas has recruited at cornerback since Herman's got there. You know, other than Deshaun Jameson. I believe every single cornerback Texas has taken has been at least six foot, around that 170 to 185 range. So they like long, lean cornerbacks who can uh, play physical man coverage, have room to grow. I would say he reminds me a little bit of Anthony Cook, Jalen Green from his tape. It's tough, though. You know, you you look at these out of state guys and trying to break it down, and it's hard because you don't really know the level of competition that they're playing. You don't really know, um, you know, kind of what their program is about. Uh, He's at a public school that's kind of is not known for being a football powerhouse, you know, like some of the other private schools in California. So he's going to come in kind of raw and he's going to be an underrated, kind of under the radar type recruit, a lot like Chris Adamora was in the uh, class a couple of years ago. I I think he's one of those that if he lived in Texas or he he went to a school in California that was known for being a football powerhouse, he'd be uh, somebody we celebrate a little bit more. But he's going to fly under the radar. just you know, from where he's from and, and the type of level of competition he plays against.
0: Now, Texas has taken a cornerback a commit with uh, Ishmael Ibrahim from Dallas Kimball uh, a couple of weeks ago. Is Texas done recruiting quarterbacks in this 2021 20, class? We've obviously talked about their need to maybe stock up on a few since there are a lot of, by the time those guys get to campus, you know, the Anthony Cooks, Sean Jamesons, if Anthony's still on the roster, Jalen Green, those guys would be all gone. Does, uh, Texas, is Texas done recruiting cornerbacks?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think unless somebody in this 2021 class that's already been offered and is probably looking elsewhere, maybe a Latrell McCutcheon or something like that, I think they would find room for another cornerback. But, but when John A. Barron uh, transferred from Baylor to Texas after uh, the Dave Aranda hire and, and all that, and he kind of got counted towards the 2020 class, I think that took a, a lot of pressure off Texas signing more than two cornerbacks in this class. So I think they'll be okay with Jameer Johnson, uh, with Ishmael Ibrahim, and if they can find another one, great. And if not, they'll just save that for the 2022 cycle.
0: You touched on it a a little bit ago, but, you know, Jameer, you know, not a lot of people have heard from his high school, about his high school. And I'm curious about – he reported an offer in February, and that was about two months after this new coaching staff got completely overhauled. um, Everyone that was in that secondary, that'll be coaching secondary positions, um, safety, cornerback, you know, they're new. So I'm kind of wondering, how did Texas find this guy? How does Texas recruit an out-of-state player who, you know, may not have been seen by people currently on the uh, Texas coaching staff, unless, you know, Chris have saw him, you know, at Rutgers or something like that. How did did, uh, Jameer end up on Texas's radar?
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly how – I think he was on Chris Ash's radar at Rutgers, maybe Jay Willis as well, and so, you know, he was a the guy they wanted to to at least offer and say, hey, look, you know, if you want to get out of the state, you want to play somewhere else, Texas is a place for you. And then it just kind of grew from there. I don't know – you know, when you send out those offers out of state, a lot of them are just flyers, you know. You kind of throw them out there, and, and if it sticks and they show interest, great. And if not, you kind of move on to the next guy. He really showed interest in Texas. He seemed to really like Austin. Uh, he had mentioned kind of growing up and kind of the first game, he, he him really remembering as a kid is that USC-Texas game, being a California guy and that being out in Pasadena. So I, I just think it was a good fit for him. Texas did a good job of selling the campus. And the thing we're going to have to watch, you know, moving forward is, you know, do these out-of-state commits kind of waver a little bit if, if officials are allowed to happen. It's one thing to commit to a school in the summer. It's another thing to sign with it in December or February if you've never actually stepped foot on that campus.
0: As we, as we mentioned, uh, Jameer is from California. Um, Tom Herman obviously has ties uh, to California, you know, both personally and professionally. But, you know, his California recruiting hasn't necessarily been great for as good of a state as California is, is at producing, um, you know, recruits. We mentioned Chris Adamora, who Texas is still very high on. But, you know, you have someone like, you know, Gabriel Floyd, which is no one's fault. That was just an unfortunate um, injury for him. But the cam rising thing did not work out. You know, how would you classify Texas as, you know, cal- recruiting in California under, under Tom Herman?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say it's bad luck. You know, you got – Like we mentioned to Gabriel Floyd with his stenosis, Uh, Cam Rising. That's just a a kid who came in, you know, not knowing Sam Ellinger was going to take the reins of that position as he did as a sophomore and junior. And so, you know, there just wasn't a spot for Cam. I don't think it has anything to do with his talent. He may be the starting quarterback for Utah this year. Um, You know, and then, you know, you got the whole Brew McCoy saga, which was just kind of crazy on multiple levels. It's hard to really blame uh, the Herman staff for anything like that. So, Yeah, I I think they'd rather, you know, recruit in state, Louisiana, Arizona, you know, Oklahoma, just kind of be around it because it's just easier to do so. Um, But when you do have uh, Tom Herman as your head coach and he has ties to California, I think he still knows coaches in those areas that can kind of point him towards some prospects that may be good fits uh, for his program. And that gives him a leg up. And I doubt it's something we see, you know, change in the near future. It won't be you know, multiple prospects every single class, but I'd imagine one or two kids from California get really good looks every single every single cycle.
0: Uh, throughout the week on com, you publish your dotted line column, um, daily look into various recruiting topics. And This week, among the topics you tackled was uh, a popular one, Texas versus Oklahoma versus Texas A&M, in regards to uh, how those guys are doing in the 2021 recruiting cycle. My first question for you on that is, who is Texas's biggest rival when it comes to recruiting? Is it Oklahoma? Is it Texas A&M? Or are there a lot of these in-state recruits that all three of those schools are going to be top-tier, you know, contenders for?
1: I think it depends on where the prospect is from. If he's from DFW or anywhere north of that, I believe Oklahoma is probably the biggest challenge. If it's Houston, it's probably A&M. Even LSU now, you know, with the SEC kind of being opened up to, to Big 12 play or to, to Texas with A&M joining the SEC. So, you know, I, I think what's, what's tough about the state of Texas is it's so big, you know, that we forget that Dallas is as close to Norman as Austin is or, you know, parts of Houston are as close to Baton Rouge as Austin is. and So... Um, if I had to – I guess I, I would say Oklahoma is Texas's, you know biggest recruiting rival, um, but I do think regions play a huge part of it. A&M still does a really good job in East Texas and in the Houston area. Uh, Oklahoma does a fantastic job in Dallas. LSU's coming into Houston more. So uh, I think regionally it probably depends, but I, I, if we're just looking at one to go head-to-head with, I'd imagine Oklahoma is kind of the one Tom Herman and staff you know, looks at the most.
0: Those three schools, Oklahoma, Texas, and a um, and who's recruiting better on defense during this 2021
1: cycle? Yeah, I think that's where Texas has the advantage. If you look at the offensive classes, they're about even. a has a really good uh, offensive line class. But if you look defensively, especially if Billy Bowman and Jatavia Sanders play defense, they're listed as athletes now. They're the top two rated uh, players in Texas' class. They both play wide receiver and defense in high school. But if they do play defense, where a lot of people think that they'll translate, you know, that gives Texas you know, two of the best you know, 50 players in the country on defense. And that, and then you add you know, J.D. Coffey, Ishmael Ibrahim, uh, you know, Jameer Johnson that we just talked about, Maurice Blackwell. There's a lot of really good players committed to Texas on defense. So I think they hold the advantage on the defensive side of the ball right now. But we still got six months and a lot of unknown before people start signing letters of intent.
0: Uh, recently, Oklahoma got a commit from LBJ defensive back Latrell <laughs> McCutcheon, who Texas was was high on. Is it hard for these schools to come into their rival's backyard and get a player like that? Like, If there was a four-star kid in College Station or a four-star kid in Norman, would Texas have a tough time going into those homes and saying, come play for the Longhorns and uh, betray all your family, family and friends?
1: Yes, I I do think Austin is a little bit different from those other from those other cities we think about. Like if we think about the best programs in college football, not many of them are in metropolitan areas. Right. Like most of them are in pretty small college towns. And so if you grow up in those small college towns, I think it's only normal for your parents, your uncles, your aunts, your cousins, everybody to love OU or, you know, wherever the case may be. Austin's such a transplant city. I mean, we all live here, right? You meet new people in Austin, and half the time they're not from Texas, much less Austin. You know, it's hard to, to really meet a, a real Austinite these days who's originally from there. So, you know, you look back at some of these misses that Texas has had. Garrett Wilson, you know, he's from uh, Ohio originally. Elijah Higgins from Florida. So, you know, you just have guys who didn't grow up you know, burnt orange and white their whole life. They didn't grow up in Austin their whole life and they have family ties to other schools out there. So I think it's easier for schools to recruit Austin than it may be for, for Texas to go recruit some of those smaller, more rural areas that usually tend to have the big colleges.
0: Uh, we're going to get out of here in a few minutes. So I wanted to actually talk about um, two entities that may not be normally normal subjects for, our podcast, our newspaper, but HBCUs and the Ivy League. First, let's talk about HPCUs. Um, recently, Texas baseball player Cameron Fields transferred from Texas. Decided he wanted to go attend Texas Southern. He's already got his Texas degree, so he'll be heading there as a grad transfer. Um, but you know, a Texas you know Texas player you know transferring to a inferior baseball program. But you know, there's other reasons why he wanted to. But uh, you know, attended HBCU. And then you, this was a national story that I'm sure people have heard about, but McCure Maker, um, a five-star basketball prospect committed to Howard, an HBCU on the East Coast, which has been terrible um, on you know on the court, but obviously um, is a very good academic institution in a um, historically significant HBCU. So I asked that not to talk about baseball or basketball, but football-wise, with everything that's going on in this country and a lot of the reckoning that's going on and a lot of black students um, and prospects looking at, you know, what's going on in these various campuses, uh, which we've talked about in the past, do you think HBCUs start to get looks from, you know, recruits that are, you know, three or four-star kids that, you know, these, you know, colleges like Texas or Oklahoma State or, um, you know, Kansas State, you know, uh, programs that have been in the news recently would also want. Do you think there could be a revival um, of these programs, or is there just too big of a gap between the quality um, of play and facilities at these bigger schools and these HBCUs?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's going to be hard in football. You know, in basketball, you can get a couple of guys to come in there and really change a program and win and dominate. You know, it's just, you know, five people on the court. Um, Whereas football with 85 players, you know, even if you sign the best quarterback in the nation out of high school, you know, it's hard to say you're going to have a good offensive line or good wide receivers or a good defense to really compete. And so, you know, it's not like basketball where you can make March Madness by winning, you know, a conference. You get in there with a bunch of teams and and can still kind of compete. You know, it's very segregated in football, right? There are the haves and the have-nots. And it's just hard for me to imagine an HBCU being able to recruit on a yearly basis well enough uh, to make that kind of impact. Now, you know, if the option is between, you know, some of the smaller power five schools or even, you know, conference USA schools, like I went to UTSA, um, you know, if your offers are UTSA or you know, HBCU, maybe HBCU start getting uh, that look, but if you're front and I guess maybe this is the Texan in me, but if you go to some of these high schools in Texas and you're a big time recruit. And then you go on a trip to an HBCU. I mean, it's a step back facilities wise. And so it's just hard for me to imagine that you could get the amount of numbers of kids to HBCUs to make a huge impact. Whereas with football or with baseball and basketball, it doesn't take as many scholarship players to kind of turn that trend around and get some, some recognition and, and to have some success. Now, um, you,
0: know, you have a cousin who is both Smarter and more athletic than the both of us. And she attended a pan and played volleyball up there. So you're a little bit uh, familiar with the Ivy Leagues. And recently, the Ivy Leagues have made some headlines, um, just kind of how they've handled um, their response to the coronavirus. They are among the first during the spring to be like, we're not, spring sports are done. And uh, I know, you know at the time that decision was decried by a lot of their athletes, but then when everyone else followed suit, you know, people were like, well, maybe the smart people actually know something. And then recently, um, you know, and I wrote about this for the paper on Sunday, I believe, um, you know, the Ivy League called off all their fall sports, um, which is not, I think the Patriot League's done that so far, and some of the bigger conferences have called off non-conference games, but the Ivy League said, we're done, it's not, you know, with the rules that we have in place on campus, it doesn't make sense to, you know, hold athletes through different standards, so we'll see in the spring. Um, do you think that is going to play a factor or have a negative or positive impact with recruiting? Because there are some, maybe not the four or five-star kids, but there are some two- and three-star prospects who, you know, they juggle that decision about whether to go to a, you know, fine academic institution or take a scholarship at maybe a lower two or power five or walk on. I mean, there have been a couple of cases where a kid turned down a scholarship – they don't have academic or athletic scholarships, but turned down a chance to go to the Ivy League to walk on at Texas. Do you think the way they've handled these situations and maybe the comfort um, that is obtained from that will play when it comes to recruiting?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you're seriously uh, looking at an Ivy League school, you're taking into account more than just sports. Um, and so I, I do think there's a little bit of there's, – there's, there's leadership shown at the Ivy league level that can't be shown at some of these bigger conferences. Cause frankly, they, the, the money's not as important, right? Like Harvard doesn't need football money the same way that Texas tech does. And so they're competing on two different playing fields. And so if you take money out of it, you can see that, you know, most people tend to think sports aren't, you know, necessary this fall with the, the current climate. And so I think that for the Ivy league, While, yeah, again, it's not going to help them get into four or five-star players' homes, I think it gives them a head start on some 2022 guys. It gives them a little bit of of leadership and some answers to give um, to players who are asking questions, and um, if you can get into an Ivy League school right now without sports and it being kind of remote, and you could get that first year under your belt, I think that's an intriguing option uh, for a lot of kids, a lot like we were talking about HBCUs, if campus life changes drastically moving forward uh all of a sudden the scenarios and the 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 things that you're looking for in each college kind of changes and maybe education moves up a little bit on that list and you start seeing some kids go uh to those schools you know on a more regular basis than maybe a you know, UTSA or Texas Tech or you know somewhere that's not you know your your uh, big time profile uh colleges that recruit the four and five star kids
0: That is going to wrap things up for us. Um, As I mentioned before, Mike has his dotted line column throughout the week on hook'em.com. Mike, aside from the Aggies, Longhorns, and uh, Sooners rivalry, what else have you been writing about this week?
1: That's a fantastic question. I forgot what I was writing about. Oh, uh, so we're looking at kind of five players from the, the 2019 class that have yet to really make an impact, right? You know, that class was considered the third best in the nation a lot of really good players there. And I think as fans, if they don't play right away, we tend to forget about them. And so it's kind of looking at guys like Jordan Whittington, Tyler Johnson, uh, Braden Lybrock, those kind of guys who were huge recruits coming in. You know, can they make an impact this season? And uh, just trying to get some football content out there just in case, you know, we don't have football. I could I could use it now <laughs> instead of sitting on it and not being able to write about it in August.
0: Yeah, so check those out throughout the week. Obviously, there's a lot of news of Texas um, this week coming out of Monday and some of the announcements by the administration. So be sure to um, read Brian Davis's work. Uh, Laura Corti has done a lot of good work on uh, statesman.com. I've written a couple things too. So be sure to check out statesman.com and hook'em.com for – all of that good work from, from all of your favorite writers. Um, but this is it for us this week. We'll hopefully talk to you guys soon. Don't forget to shoot us a review at the Apple Store and the Google Podcast app. We appreciate that. We appreciate you guys tuning in each week. The Longhorn Confidential Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by our neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. We will talk to you guys soon.
1: Peace.